Chapter Two of Indian Summer by William Dean Howells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Chapter Two. Colville had readied this point in that sarcastic study of his own condition of mind for the advantage of his late readers in the post-democrat republican, when he was aware of a polite rustling of draperies with an ensuing well-bred murmur which at once ignored him, deprecated intrusion upon him, and asserted a common right to the prospect on which he had been dwelling alone. He looked round with an instinctive expectation of style and poise, in which he was not disappointed. The lady, with the graceful lift of the head, and a very erect carriage, almost Bernhardt-esque, in the backward fling of her shoulders and the strict compression of her elbows to her side, was pointing out the different bridges to the little girl who was with her. "'The first one is the Santa Trinita, and the next is the Caraja, and that one quite down by the Cachin is the Iron Bridge. The Cachin, you remember, the park where we were driving, that clump of woods there.' A vagueness expressive of divided interest had crept into the lady's tone, rather than her words. Colville could feel that she was waiting for the right moment to turn her delicate head, sculpturesquely defined by its toque, and steal an imperceptible glance at him. And he involuntarily afforded her the coveted excuse, by the slight noise he made in changing his position, in order to be able to go away as soon as he had seen whether she was pretty or not. At forty-one, the question is still important to every man, with regard to every woman. "'Mr. Colville!' The gentle surprise conveyed in the exclamation, without time for recognition, convinced Colville, upon a cool review of the facts, that the lady had known him before their eyes met. "'Why, Mrs. Bowen,' he said, she put out her round, slender arm, and gave him a frank clasp of her gloved hand. The glove wrinkled richly up the sleeve of her dress, halfway to her elbow. She bent on his face a demand for just what quality and degree of change he found in hers, and apparently she satisfied herself that his inspection was not to her disadvantage, for she smiled brightly and devoted the rest of her glance to an electric summary of the facts of Colville's physiognomy, the sufficiently good outline of his visage, with its full, rather close-cut, drabbish brown beard and moustache, both shaped a little by the ironical, self-conscious smile that lurked under them. The non-committal, rather weary-looking eyes, the brown hair, slightly frosted, that showed while he stood with his hat still off. He was a little above the middle height, and, if it must be confessed, neither his face nor his figure had quite preserved their youthful lines. They were both much heavier than when Mrs. Bowen saw them last, and the latter here and there swayed beyond the strict bounds of symmetry. She was herself in that moment of life when, to the middle-aged observer at least, a woman's looks have a charm which is wanting to her earlier bloom. 
by that time her character has wrought itself more clearly out in her face and her heart and mind confront you more directly there it is the youth of her spirit which has come to the surface i should have known you anywhere she exclaimed with friendly pleasure in seeing him you are very kind said colville i didn't know that i had preserved my youthful beauty to that degree but i can imagine it if you say so mrs bowen oh i assure you that you have she protested and now she began gently to pursue him with one fine question after another about himself till she had mastered the main facts of his history since they had last met he would not have known so well how to possess himself of hers even if he had felt the same necessity but in fact it had happened that he had heard of her from time to time at not very long intervals she had married a leading lawyer of her western city who in due time had gone to congress and after his term was out had taken up his residence in washington as the newspaper said in his elegant mansion at the corner of and street and idaho avenue after that he remembered reading that mrs bowen was going abroad for the education of her daughter from which he made his own inferences concerning her marriage and you knew mr bowen was no longer living she said with fit obsequy of tone yes i knew he answered with decent sympathy this is my little effie said mrs bowen after a moment and now the child hitherto keeping herself discreetly in the background came forward and promptly gave her hand to colville who perceived that she was not so small as he had thought her at first an effect of infancy had possibly been studied in the brevity of her skirts and the immaturity of her corsage but both were in good taste and really to the advantage of her young figure there was reason and justice in her being dressed as she was for she was really not so old as she looked by two or three years and there was reason in mrs bowen's carrying in the hollow of her left arm the india shawl sack she had taken off and hung there the deep cherry silk lining gave life to the sombre tents prevailing in her dress which its removal left free to express all the grace of her extremely ladylike person ladylike was the word for mrs bowen throughout for the turn of her head the management of her arm from the elbow the curve of her hand from wrist to fingertips the smile subdued but sufficiently sweet playing about her little mouth which was yet not too little and the refined and indefinite perfume which exhaled from the ensemble of her silks her laces and her gloves like an odorous version of that otherwise impalpable quality which women call style she had with all her flexibility a certain charming stiffness like the stiffness of a very tall feather and have you been here a great while she asked turning her head slowly toward colville and looking at him with a little difficulty she had in raising her eyelids when she was younger the glance that shyly stole from under the covert of their lashes was like a gleam of sunshine and it was still like a gleam of paler sunshine 
Colville, whose mood was very susceptible to the weather, brightened in the ray. "'I only arrived last night,' he said with a smile. "'How glad you must be to get back! Did you ever see Florence more beautiful than it was this morning?' Uh, not for years said colville with another smile for her pretty enthusiasm uh, not for seventeen years at the least calculation is it so many cried mrs bowen with lovely dismay yes it is she sighed and she did not speak for an appreciable interval he knew that she was thinking of that old love affair of his to which she was privy in some degree though he never could tell how much and when she spoke he perceived that she purposely avoided speaking of a certain person whom a woman of more tact, or of less, would have insisted upon naming at once. "'I never can believe in the lapse of time when I get back to Italy. It always makes me feel as young as when I left it last.' "'I could imagine you never left it,' said Colville. Mrs. Bowen reflected a moment. "'Is that a compliment?' "'I had an obscure intention of saying something fine, "'but I don't think I've quite made it out,' he owned. "'Mrs. Owen gave her small, sweet smile. "'It was very nice of you to try. "'But I haven't really been away for some time. "'I've taken a house in Florence, and I've been here two years. "'Palazzo Pinti, Lung Arno della Zecca. You must come and see me, Thursdays from four till six. Thank you, said Colville. I'm afraid, said Mrs. Bowen, remotely preparing to offer her hand in adieu, that Effie and I broke in upon some very important cogitations of yours. She shifted the silken burden off her arm a little, and the child stirred from the correct pose she had been keeping, and smiled politely. "'I don't think they deserve a real dictionary word like that,' said Colville. "'I was simply mooning. "'If there was anything definite in my mind, "'I was wishing that I was looking down on the Wabash in De Vache "'instead of the Arno in Florence.' "'Oh, and I supposed you must be indulging "'all sorts of historical associations with the place. "'Effie and I have been walking through a Via de Bardi, "'where Romola lived,' and I was bringing her back over the Ponte Vecchio so as to impress the origin of Florence on her mind. "'Is that what makes Miss Effie hate it?' asked Colville, looking at the child, whose youthful resemblance to her mother was in all things so perfect that a fantastic question whether she could ever have had any other parent swept through him. Certainly, if Mrs. Bowen were to marry again, there was nothing in this child's looks to suggest the idea of a predecessor to the second husband. "'Effie doesn't hate any sort of useful knowledge,' said her mother, half-jestingly. "'She's just come to me from school at Vevey.' "'Oh, then I think she might,' persisted Colville. "'Don't you hate the origin of Florence a little?' he asked of the child. "'I don't know enough about it,' she answered, with a quick look of question at her mother, and checking herself in a possibly indiscreet smile. "'Ah, that accounts for it,' said Colville, and he laughed. It amused him to see the child referring even this point of propriety to her mother, 
and his thoughts idled off to what Mrs. Bowen's own untrammeled girlhood must have been in her western city. For her daughter there were to be no buggy rides or concerts or dances at the invitation of young men, no picnics, free and unchaperoned as the casing air, no sitting on the steps at dusk with callers who never dreamed of asking for her mother, no lingering at the gate with her youthful escort home from the ball, nothing of that wild sweet liberty which once made American girlhood a long rapture. But would she be any the better for her privations, for referring not only every point of conduct, but every thought and feeling to her mother? He suppressed a sigh for the inevitable change, but rejoiced that his own youth had fallen in the earlier time, and said, "'You will hate it as soon as you've read a little of it.' "'The difficulty is to read a little of Florentine history. I can't find anything in less than ten or twelve volumes,' said Mrs. Bowen. Effie and I were going to Vesieux's library again, in desperation, to see if there wasn't something shorter in French. She now offered Colville her hand, and he found himself very reluctant to let it go. Something in her looks did not forbid him, and when she took her hand away he said, "'Let me go to Vesieux's with you, Mrs. Bowen.' and give you the advantage of my unprejudiced ignorance in the choice of a book on Florence. "'Oh, I was longing to ask you,' said Mrs. Bowen frankly. "'It is really such a serious matter, especially when the book is for a young person. Unless it's very dry, it's so apt to be objectionable.' "'Yes,' said Colville, with a smile at her perplexity. He moved off down the slope of a bridge with her, between the jeweller's shops, and felt a singular satisfaction in her company. Women of fashion always interested him. He liked them. It diverted him that they should take themselves seriously. Their resolution, their suffering for their ideal, such as it was, their energy in dressing and adorning themselves, the pains they were at to achieve the trivialities they passed their lives in, were perpetually delightful to him. He often found them people of great simplicity, and sometimes of singularly good sense. Their frequent vein of piety was delicious. Ten minutes earlier he would have said that nothing could have been less welcome to him than this encounter, but now he felt unwilling to leave Mrs. Bowen. "'Go before, Effie,' she said, and she added to Colville, "'How very Florentine all this is! If you dropped from the clouds on this spot, without previous warning, you would know that you were on the Ponte Vecchio and nowhere else.' "'Yes, it's very Florentine,' Colville assented. "'The bridge is very well as a bridge, but as a street I prefer the Main Street Bridge at Devash. I was looking at the jewellery before you came up, and I don't think it's pretty, even the old pieces of peasant jewellery. Why do people come here to look at it? If you were going to buy something for a friend, would you dream of coming here for it? Oh, no, replied Mrs. Bowen, with the deepest feeling. They quitted the bridge, and turning to the left, moved down the street, which with difficulty finds space between the parapet of the river 
and the shops of the mosaicists and dealers in statuary cramping it on the other hand here's something distinctively florentine too said colville these table-tops and paper-weights and caskets and photograph-frames and lockets and breast-pins and here this ghostly glare of undersized psyches and hebes and graces in alabaster oh you mustn't think of any of them mrs bowen broke in with horror if your friend wishes you to get her something characteristically florentine and at the same time very tasteful you must go colville gave a melancholy laugh my friend is an abstraction mrs bowen without sex or any sort of entity oh said mrs bowen some fine drops had begun to sprinkle the pavement what a ridiculous blunder it's raining effie i'm afraid we must give up your book for to-day we're not dressed for damp weather and we'd better hurry home as soon as possible she got promptly into the shelter of a doorway and gathered her daughter to her while she flung her sack over her shoulder and caught her draperies from the ground for the next movement mr colville will you please stop the first closed carriage that comes in sight a figure of primo tenore had witnessed the manoeuvre from the box of his cab he held up his whip and at a nod from colville he drove abreast of the doorway his broken-kneed tremulous little horse gay and brass-mounted harness and with a stiff turkey feather stuck upright at one ear in his headstall mrs bowen had no more scruple than another woman in stopping travel and traffic in a public street for her convenience she now entered into a brisk parting conversation with colville such as ladies love blocking the narrow sidewalk with herself her daughter and her open carriage door and making people walk round her cab in the road which they did meekly enough with the florentine submissiveness to the pretensions of any sort of vehicle she said a dozen important things that seemed to have just come into her head and why how stupid i am she called out making colville check the driver in his first start after she had got into the cab we are to have a few people to-night if you have no engagement i should be so glad to have you come can't you uh, yes i can said colville admiring the whole transaction and the parties to it with a passive smile after finding her pocket she found that her card-case was not in it but in the purse she had given effie to carry but she got her address at last and gave it to colville though he said he should remember it without any time between nine and eleven she said it's so nice of you to promise she questioned him from under her half-lifted eyelids and he added with a laugh i'll come and was rewarded with two pretty smiles just alike from mother and daughter as they drove away end of chapter two of indian summer by william dean howells Recording by Leonard Wilson of Springfield, Ohio.